This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Now five seconds left of the third. The Jets fire it in beyond the Flames net, and the final few seconds are going to come off the clock at Canada Life Center in Winnipeg. And in what was their biggest game of the season, the Flames get their biggest win of the season. They battle back to beat the Jets by a final score of 3-1 to one to move into a tie for the second wildcard spot in the Western Conference. Keep the faith, Flames fans. Well, in a game the Calgary Flames absolutely had to have if they wanted to keep their playoff hopes alive. They deliver one of their most complete performances in hostile territory in a game that had it all. Video review, emotion, physicality, goal scoring, outstanding goaltending. Flames 3, Jets 1. And a key two points in the bank for the Calgary Flames, who now have three games remaining to continue their playoff push. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Coming along with us today, our outstanding production crew of Cam and Taylor. Lots to get to on the program today. Obviously, lots of Flames reaction following a big win in Winnipeg last night. Thursdays also mean a uh, chat with our pal from MLB and NHL Network, Adnan Verk. We're just over a week into the regular season in the major league, so we'll chat with Verk about uh, what he's seen across the league through uh, one week so far. Stolen bases are up across the league. Offense is up. Um... Attendance is down in Oakland, as per usual. We'll chat with Verk about all of that and more. But let's kick things off like we always do. Get to the man you're waiting to hear from. He is Peter Labardius, and he joins us every single day to kick off the program. He's the color voice of the Flames here on Sportsnet 960, and he's brought to you by the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows your home renovation should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They're now offering air miles, reward miles, and you can visit them at the Gemini Group.ca. Good afternoon, Lou. How are you, pal? I am excellent. Thank you kindly. Good to hear, my man. Uh, thoughts last night on a huge win for the Calgary Flames over the Winnipeg Jets? Gutsy, hard fought, checked well. Penalty killing was quite good. In fact, it was close to real good outside of one time that they let a puck get through the seam, which you try to eliminate on the goal by Connor, and Jacob was absolutely sensational. So it was exactly what the doctor ordered. It was a game that was certainly played in the trenches without at times a lot of flow. And Ryan Huska yesterday in our pregame chat for the pregame warm-up talked a lot about playing a simple, effective hard road game that's exactly what the calgary flames had to do and what was a game seven 
type scenario for them because they don't win last night. It's all she wrote. And now still difficult, but it always has to be one step at a time. And that's a big step that they took last night. And I think that game and that win, you know, by virtue of the fact, yes, it's easy to look at Chicago, but can't forget about all the games lately around that. That's Mm -hmm. five of six now. Um, you know, and the body of work, even in this scenario, really matters. But that one you absolutely had to have, and you by and large had to have it in regulation, and you got it done. One of the big topics going into it, Lou, was who would be the starting goaltender. I think outside the market, it was more of a question mark than inside the market. Most of us here in Calgary were uh, pretty well on the train that it would be Jacob Markstrom getting the start. Uh, you mentioned it in your first answer there. He was outstanding last night, and uh, he was asked about it post game how he felt going into the second half of a back to back, and mentioned in his answer here that he was pretty motivated from the result against Chicago, and that might have helped him last night in Winnipeg. No, good. Obviously, you know, still uh, still pissed off from from the other night, and uh, uh, you know, think fed fed into that a little bit coming into this game, and you know, a little bit more more emotions than usual. But you know, it was a great atmosphere and a big win. But you know, we gotta we gotta keep going here. Well, his last uh, game in a back to back wasn't bad either. It was a forty four <laughs> save shutout in Minnesota. Nope, not bad so, at all. You know, again. Ryan Husky is interesting. When we chatted, and we chat quite a bit, needless to say, I can always tell when a coach has a good feeling about his group. And he had a real good feeling yesterday when we chatted both on and off the air about the group, what it was going to require, even understanding that they'd, you know, probably look by the night before and the approach as you know because we shared it yesterday was well we lost game six we have to win game seven well they won game seven and they did it in a very difficult game against a hungry desperate opponent and they had to be the team that truly found a way to just have a little extra get a little bit more and they did and no better place to start than your goalie and he was extra emotional. Just ask Pierre-Luc Dubois. <laughs> and sometimes I think for Jacob, it's crazy, Logan. And the older I get, the more I feel about this in a very strong way. In our lives, the things that make you can also break you. And as my dear friend, longtime teammate at Sportsnet Television, former star at Calgary 2-7, and seven, Mike Toast, said to me many years ago, Peter, never forget this, and I haven't. In life, generally, your greatest strengths are also your greatest weaknesses. Yeah, and emotion certainly at the top of that for a guy like Jacob Markstrom, who was just, uh, just so dialed in, Lou. He was so... He was just calm. He was just more himself last night than we've seen for large portions of the season. And I think that this team, I don't know if you'd agree or disagree with this or not, but I feel like the team really takes a lot of emotional cues off of Jacob. And when he's like he was last night, there's just an aura, a calmness that resonates through the rest of the group as well. Well, there's, 
that to me, as much as it's about emotion, it's about what he gives to them in terms of confidence. And if you've ever played the sport, even at any level, it is just absolutely incredible what happens with your group and how they play in front of their goalie when they truly know that that guy is at a high, high level. And so you can sense it. And even if you break down a season, Logan, a lot of his biggest issues have been, and not all on him, by the way, because he'll go stretches, not get a shot, and then he gets a breakaway or a grade A, and it's one shot and one goal. It's happened nine or ten times. But those are the situations that kind of set you up. And I think it really sets him up, too. I heard a goalie talk the other day and was asked, well, what's, what's the per- – it might have even been Brent Cron on this station – was asked, what's the best first touch you can get? And Brent said, well, usually something from about 50 or 60 feet that you can see so you can feel it and feel it early. For Jacob, it doesn't always work that way because a lot of his first touches this year have been great A's. Not all. Not all. I'm not letting them off the hook, but that's what this team has had a tendency to do because by and large, they check pretty well, but when there are breakdowns, they can be large, which between that factor and every night comes down to one shot here, one goal here, one save here. It's just that, that to me, as I've said for eons now, that's the mentally taxing part which is why I reiterate, even with him, I don't buy the physical taxing part of it. I, I, think, I think when people, people get tired, no matter what you do or what's bothering you, and I can only speak for myself, Logan, if, if my mind and emotions aren't challenged in the right place, I feel exhausted 24 hours of the day. But when I'm right, I can get four or five hours of sleep a night and feel great. Yeah, and now a good opportunity for this team to get some of that physical rest, at least. They got two days off before a Hockey Night in Canada matchup in Vancouver against the Canucks. It will be a great opportunity again to see a team that they just saw last Friday and were able to pick up a big win, but uh, as we said, all of these games important down the stretch here for the Calgary Flames. Uh, Lou, one guy I thought really stood out on the back end from a, a really positive standpoint for the Flames last night, Nikita Zadorov, eleventh uh, of the season for him. That's a career high in goals, which he set uh, a couple goals ago. But a, a strong night from him: a goal, an assist, four shots on goal, three hits in sixteen oh four of time on ice last night. What did you like for number sixteen? Well. Nikita is a player who, for the most part this year, has certainly taken a step. When I watch him play, and especially after, you know, the mandated and all-star break for the Flames, I thought, for the most part lately, at times he's tried to do too much. And I think going back to even his time in junior as a London Knight, those are some of the things that plague him. And because 
Logan in a lot of different ways. He has every physical tool you would want. He is mean. He's hard to play against. But what changes is he still needs to be simple before he can add the toolbox. So when he tries to, you know, clean the window with a screwdriver instead of Windex, it doesn't work real well. Terrible analogy. I flag myself. (laughs) Um, But I hope people know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, at times he wants to roam around like, you know, he's Kale McCarr. Well, he's not Kale McCarr. Not to say that he doesn't have the ability, and he showed it. He made a great read on the goal that put the game away at 3-1 on a fine feed from Jonathan Huberto. But for him, it's being hard. It's being simple. It's making sure that you're a good partner so that your partner's not scrambling around all night. But he most certainly can impact the game in a massive way when he's at the top of his game. You know, they're different guys, and one's a lot steadier. But to me, they both share this in common. Except Noah's, to me, better at being him. And that is when both those guys are feeling it and seeing it and reading it right... They can be pretty awesome. And for number 16, there are times where less just needs to be more. But that always says to me, he just wants to make an impact. And there was a stretch, although the name was not named, but you might remember Daryl in one of his chats with me prior to a game talked about there might have even been someone on the decor who uh, wasn't overly pleased about the amount of ice. I don't know, so I shouldn't assume, but mm-hmm. with his personality, which is what makes him, I wouldn't have been surprised if every once in a while there's a little headbutting going on there too. But that's okay. Yep. That's okay. Because... That's that's the way it is with emotional people who lay it on the line. And it's hard for other people who aren't that way. I know it well. Trust me, I know it well. Um, well, I'm sure if you ask the coach too, Lou, I'm sure Daryl would love players that want to push for more ice time than the other way around 10 times out of 10. I don't know. I've never asked Daryl that question. But I do know this, which I think leads me to believe that I don't think Daryl sees a lot of strength in anybody who backs down a lot. Fair. But he's also but he's also gonna tell you to beat it if you need to beat it. <laughs> yeah. And the hardest thing to do maybe in any profession is do you have enough self awareness to understand what you're best at and to probably do more listening to people trying to help you instead of putting your feet in the ground and backing against the wall and being mad. Don't tell me that doesn't happen in players and coaches rooms every single day. It does. For sure. 
Uh, Peter Labardius is along with us to kick off the program. He is the color voice of the Calgary Flames right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. We're talking all things Flames following a big win against the Winnipeg Jets last night. Lou joins us every single day, courtesy of our friends at the Gemini Group Home Renovations. Lou, a ton of noise heading into last night's game around veteran center Nazem Kadri after a, a rough game against the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, how did you feel number 91 performed last night in Winnipeg? I thought he played hard. Still a lot more there. But I can, I can live with nights where I'm not questioning what I think is his best attribute, and that's his competitiveness. The night before, I questioned it and didn't even love the response after. But I think there's been a lot of questions and answering for him personally this year. And that's good, too, because my guess is going down the road for a guy who didn't get much time off, won a Stanley Cup, has accomplished a lot, I think for anybody who accomplishes a lot in a lifetime dream and in the opportunity to, you know, set up your family, I think sometimes there can be a bit of a pause and easier frustration because no matter who you are, and if you're somebody like Nazem, you're always kind of trying to prove yourself, right? For a long time, you know, it was about can you stay on the right side of the line in big games? You got through that. I think he, well, I know. All I have to do is talk to him or listen to him. I think he's always had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Think about some of the things he said last year in the playoffs. You don't think that doesn't come with a little chip on your shoulder, Logan? Sure does. I don't think he's ever truly felt that he is appreciated in some respects the way he should be around the league as the type of player he is. So when you hit a crossroads and you've done a lot and you finally feel like, okay, I showed you, I did it, and then maybe it doesn't go as well, and you come into a new situation where maybe you have different ideas about how things should be done or how you should be handled because it seemed to maybe work better somewhere else. Makes sense again to me. Yeah, sure does. A um, couple more before we let you go here. Um, I know it was on pretty similar timing. Did you get a chance to uh, check out uh, the Canadian women last night in their opening victory against Switzerland? No, no. No, I did not outside of the uh, highlights because I was at two Junior B games because this afternoon I'm calling a game at the Junior B Provincials. I am parked in a parking lot in Okotoks talking to you. So between Flames prep, prep for that, I don't even know what time it is. (laughs) I barely know where I am. I know I'm going to go into the good life get a little workout in, and head over to the uh, Centennial Arena to uh, call Sherwood Park and the reigning Alberta Junior B Provincial Champions, even though they're based out of Fort St. John, British Columbia, the Fort St. John Huskies. So, no, unfortunately, I did not have time to, to watch my favorite country 
and an unbelievable group of women continue their quest for a three-peat as world champions. But I'll get there. I know you will. I'll get there. I figured it would be best to ask you. Just to make sure, I, I did see your tweet yesterday that you were busy after the game, so I figured oh, I'll check in first before I ask him anything about the game, just in case he hadn't had a chance to, and I figured um, as much. But uh, last things uh, before we get out of here today, Lou, a very important uh, anniversary. It's a somber anniversary, but uh, today, five years ago, uh, the humble brush crash in Saskatchewan and um, you see all the, the videos and the pictures and everything. And I know it's a very tough one to look back on for you. Spend so much time in, in junior hockey and everything, I guess just uh, any thoughts or, or memories on it from five years ago now. I just think it's one that never goes away. Um, Logan, the best way to describe it, and sometimes I can't, because for me, just with my upbringing and who I am, and everybody knows I'm a fired up, emotional person, I'm way more prone to cry and be that kind of emotional over happy things rather than sad things. I know that probably sounds odd, but that's how I have a tendency to process the most difficult stuff. But I remember Nance and I were having dinner. She was in town and got a call from a real dear friend of mine. And we started looking at some of the video and it's the only time in my life where I could barely stop crying for about three straight days. So, you know, I've never probably, whether it's been deaths to important people in my life or things that have happened to me, and certainly I have cried over sad things, but that one, Nance and I still talk about it. Mm. That one just absolutely crushed me. Because I, I think really what it was, Logan is, you know, it just hit home on so many different levels. I mean, I started my career in Estevan in 1984. I was on a bus on a terrible Saskatchewan night in 1986. On December 30th of that day, when we got to the arena in Melville for an Estevan Bruin game and found out what had happened in Swift Current. And, you know, I had hoped that would never happen again. And then for it to happen that magnitude and, and the other memory is um, one of my two best best friends on planet earth is an anesthesiologist and he was working that night at Saskatoon University Hospital um, when some of those kids were brought there and we talked on the phone. I was still in the post-game show lounge after, because the Flames played that, that day or the next day. The next day they played. Mm -hmm. That was a Friday. They played the Saturday. And he said to me, I see a lot of things on a daily basis. 
He goes, last night is the first night I left the hospital in complete and utter tears. So that's another memory that I have from that couple of days. Lou, appreciate it. I know it's uh, a tough subject, but uh, really appreciate your words on it, pal. An important one. Yes, absolutely. An important one. Never forget. Never forget. Have a great afternoon, Lou. We'll chat with you later on, hey? Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Pete Labardius, the color voice of the Calgary Flames, joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. He joins us every single day to kick off the program. Brought to you by our good friends at the Gemini Group Home Renovations. The Gemini Group knows that your home renovations should be a reflection of who you are. Give your home the Gemini difference. They now offer air miles, reward miles. Visit them at thegeminigroup.ca. Let's check in with our MLB Network analyst and NHL Network analyst and Cinephile podcast host Ednan Verk next on a Thursday chat here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Sportsnet Today rolling on on a Thursday, following a big Flames win last night in Winnipeg. Playoff hopes remain alive for the Calgary Flames. Next up, a battle against their Pacific Division rival, the Vancouver Canucks on Saturday night. All your Flames coverage. Of course, starting with Flames warm-up with Pat Steinberg and Peter Labardius at 7. Lou and Derek Wills on the call right here on Sportsnet 960 just after 8 o'clock. But it is Thursday, and it's time to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat in with our uh, Sportsnet 960 regular from MLB Network, NHL Network, and, of course, the Cinephile Podcast. Very happy to bring in uh, Dan Verk this afternoon. Verk, how are you, pal? Logo, how are you, brother? Go Flames, go. Love the fact they're still in the mix right now. The hockey season winding down. Yes, just uh, three games left here in Calgary for the Flames, and before we know it, we'll get an answer to this playoff picture uh, one way or another. And it was funny, I was talking to a couple guys outside of the market uh, about this, and they were saying, hey, how do you like the playoff race? And I said, oh, it's, I didn't really think much of it, but I, I've looked around the NHL. We don't have a ton of these uh, playoff races outside of what's happening between Calgary, Nashville, and and Winnipeg right now. It's kind of a rare year for that, Adnan. It has. You know, in the Eastern Conference, you got the three-horse race right now, the Panthers, Islanders, and Penguins, and you mentioned the Western Conference, those three teams as well. So, yeah, it's a little bit rare. Like, I remember last year we had that situation where you kind of knew all the playoff teams uh, I think it was in the Western Conference a year ago. I can't remember what it was now. But um, it is interesting in that in the past, you've had better races as far as, you know, division title, which is so critical as far as getting one of the top seeds. You know, rather than being a wild card, wanting to be top three in your division. But it feels like it's actually been pretty straightforward the last month or so. Now it's just a matter of wild cards and that, that fight to the finish. And I'm particularly curious what happens there in the Eastern Conference just because Florida – a year ago, right, President's Trophy winner, they revamped the team because that style can't win the playoffs, got to be more defensive-oriented. You bring in Paul Maurice, now they're just fighting tooth and nail just to make the playoffs. I think Lyon's going to be the goalie, but could be Bobrovsky, Spencer Knight, not really sure there. I mean, the Penguins missed the playoffs with Sidney Crosby. That's always cause for alarm in Pittsburgh, which is such a veteran-laden team. They kind of bang from the fact they could make it again. If they don't, well, you know, who walks the plank there? Uh, already see the Capitals going to miss the playoffs. I'll always feel surprising with veterans on the team. And the Islanders in the mix there as well. So I, I'm really curious what happens there in the East. And, of course, hoping the Flames make it in the West. Although it's annoying. You feel like it's either going to be the Flames or the Jets. So, you know, you want as many Canadian teams in the mix as well. But, unfortunately, it feels like either or when it comes to Winnipeg and Calgary. Yeah, it certainly doesn't feel at this point like it's going to be both of them given 
how you know I guess Seattle's played pretty strong as of late, and they got a pretty easy schedule with a couple of uh, battles against the Arizona Coyotes down the stretch here. Uh, you mentioned the President's Trophy winning Panthers last year, Verk, and I wonder if that's not a scary proposition for a team like the Boston Bruins, who I'll admit come from a different pedigree than last year's Panthers, given that they have so much Stanley Cup experience on their team already. But the last decade or so hasn't gone well for President's Trophy winning teams. And this Bruins team, I think we've known was going to be the President's Trophy winner since it feels like January. They don't have much to play for in the last couple of months. It'll be interesting to see how they handle the playoffs this year. Oh, 100%. You know, it always feels like a hex. You don't want to be the number one seed. Maybe in other sports, it's different. You can see an NBA team being a number one going all the way. Although this year, even in the Western Conference, you really feel like the bottom half of the West is much stronger. The Warriors are a six. You're going to face Sacramento first time in 16 years in the playoffs. Oh, good luck. You're going to have to face Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. All the rest of it. Lakers could be a seven seed. They're in the play-in. So, you know, it depends. I think in football, you always want to be a number one seed, of course. I mean, God, you get that bye. That feels critical. There's only one bye now as my Eagles benefited from and forced came up short against the, the Chiefs. But, you know, I feel like in other sports, that one seed is really, really valuable. And unfortunately, in hockey, it hasn't been the case. And you often see upsets. It's what makes the first round so special, so unique. It's better than any other playoff round, I think. It's better than any other playoff round you could argue in sports. The first round of hockey, because you're always going to get at least one or two upsets, right? Of the four series, not everything will go according to plan. And even a one seed can be vulnerable. Now, in the case of Boston, I just can't see an upset early on. Maybe they don't win the Stanley Cup. Okay, that might happen. I could see them losing to the Avalanche in the Cup final, maybe getting pushed by the Hurricanes. I could see that. Uh, I think the Devils are going to be pretty formidable, but Boston's a favorite. I mean, th- th- they've got four lines right now that can do damage. For years, they were a one-line team, right? It was all about Pasternak and, and Martian and Bergeron. That's the rest. And, but now the other guys have kind of supplemented that. Their defense is rock solid. Maybe a question as far as playoff experience and goal. Haven't seen Linus Olbrich and Swayman perform well come playoff time. But, again, Olbrich might win the Vesna. They've been so strong all year. You really have to fight to find any weaknesses with the Bruins. And particularly on a home ice logo, they've been impenetrable. Like, they're they're virtually Mm -hmm. unbeatable at home. So, it's I I hear you. I'm with you. There's always that President's Trophy hex. But Boston's going to be a really tough out this year. Uh, it was a battle of old-school hockey last night at MSG between the Rangers and the Lightning. Both of these teams are headed to the playoffs. We got goal scoring. We got fighting. We had physicality. There were fines handed out this morning from the NHL. Um, I'm curious from um, both of these teams, Verk, your perspective on it. It feels like the Rangers have this all-in mentality, bringing in Tarasenko and bringing in Patrick Kane. Those are two huge moves. But I'm also I'm also so leery to walk out of – any series against Tampa Bay and not name them the favorite. This is a team that I know hasn't been as good this year, but just seems to change their style of play when it comes to the postseason. And I can't bet against the team a lot of times that has guys like Vasilevsky and, and Kucherov. These are two really intriguing teams in the East. Oh, 100%. Like Rangers-Devils, it's going to be just a banana series, as you know, living here in North Jersey. And I'm picking the Devils and all these Rangers fans are so upset because, as you mentioned, they said, no, no, we're, we're the favorite. Come on, we've, we've added. And I said, listen, the Devils have added as well. I mean, there, there's no doubt that New Jersey, who all year long has shown that you don't need to be a big team to be successful. As long as you've got speed and talent, then you're going to be in the mix. And I think Devils-Rangers is going to be a hell of a series. I think the Lightning Leafs is going to be a heck of a series. Again, on paper, Toronto can win that series. They're going to have home ice. 
you feel like inevitably one of these days the world will turn. But then, as you mentioned, the Lightning had that Stanley Cup pedigree, and good luck betting against Vasilevsky, if especially versus Samsonov or Samsonov, as he's pronouncing it now. So, I think the Lightning beat the Leafs, which is going to cause major catastrophic changes in Toronto. If you're used to hearing something has to happen this year, it has to happen. For God's sake, they they've lost seven straight first round exits and haven't been in the second round since 2004. So if it happens again, there's going to be hell to pay. But good luck because you're facing the Lightning. And the Rangers-Devils, you're right. I mean, if the Rangers fall to New Jersey, that's going to be a bitter pill to swallow. When you, when you acquire guys like Tarasenko and Kane, you're expecting to go to the next level. But I, I really do think it's going to be a great series. And I'd be leaning Devils right now, probably in six or seven. Uh, give it to Jack Hughes and company. When we talked to you at this time last week, it was uh, perfect timing. MLB opening day was uh, among upon us, and we've had some great storylines just a week in. Maybe none bigger, Adnan, than what's happening in Tampa Bay right now. Uh, the Rays are the story of the season to start things off. 6-0 and uh, to start the season, including a ridiculous plus 31 run differential. Obviously, that's not going to be a pace that we anticipate that they maintain for the rest of the season. But what does that do to the AL East and the powers that be there if this Rays team is actually a contender that maybe we didn't expect them to be? Yeah, you know, every year, Logan, you just underestimate what your own peril, right? It's like the Yankees were 99 wins a season ago. Our Blue Jays, you feel like, going to be 93, 94 wins. Certainly a playoff team as after Minso. A year ago, and then there's the Rays just lurking, and their pitching's phenomenal. They have like a, a one-team ERA right now, which is filthy. McClanahan's as good as any starter in the majors, and Glasnow's going to be back at some point. Jeffrey Springs was the best starting pitcher in spring training, and oftentimes you go, well, who cares? It's just spring training, but so far, he's been great again. So sometimes a guy can have early success in spring training, and then it carries over to the regular season. And to me, what's really surprising is how good their offense has been. Rosa Reina is an absolute stud, played great for Mexico at the World Baseball Classic. We know what Wander Franco is capable of, but Yandy Diaz has been great as well. So that, that three-headed monster really has been pulverizing other opponents, and that's why you mentioned that run differential. It's not like they're winning close games. They're, they're really beating teams badly with those big bats and just standout pitching top to bottom. And the first team to start 6-0 since the 2016 Orioles, uh, previous teams that get off to starts like that generally make the playoffs. You could be cynical and say, well, it's still 156 games to go, but there's something to be said for having a hot start, and the Rays right now look great, as always. We get frustrated, right? We want new stories, something different, but same old Rays doing the same old damage against everybody else. Of course, so much uh, heading into this season, Adnan, we're talking about the rule changes and how we would see different impacts offensively around the game, especially around the pitch clock and the shift and all that. So far, one of the biggest things that we've seen change has been the success rate on stolen bases. Uh, I have it up from MLB.com. Last year at this time, there's about four games difference here, but uh, 87 games last year played. uh, Stolen bases were at a 68.5 success rate. Uh, This year through 91 games, they're sitting at an 80.5 success rate. So if you're stealing a bag right now in baseball, you're more than likely getting it. Uh, is this a good thing or a bad thing for baseball that we've seen so much of this early on? Or is it just one of those things that we're going to have to eventually see average out a bit? I love it, man. Like I remember looking last year's stolen bases. There was like, you know, maybe five attempts and, you know, the success rate in opening day was pretty small. And this year was 21 of 23. You're like, wowzers, like it <laughs> doubled the attempts and the success rate at like almost 90%. I'm like, that's crazy. And, uh, 
it's been fun to see. You know, it's not just the bigger bases. It's the fact that pitchers can only throw over once. They can only step off once. So certainly players are taking advantage. I don't think we'll ever get back to like the days of Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman, guys stealing 100 bags. But John Birdie led the National League in stolen bases last year, and he was in the 40s. So I would at least like to see somebody get 50-plus stolen bases or 60-plus stolen bases. A guy like a Jazz Chisholm who's awfully fast for the Marlins or even John Birdie, his teammate, who was the leader a year ago. So I, I think it's kind of fun to see, man, to be honest with you. I missed the hit and run. Hopefully we'll get some more, you know, suicide squeezes and safety squeezes and stuff that makes the game more exciting. So it's definitely helping fast players. Seeing that like a guy like Anthony Volpe of the Yankees, one of the reasons he made the team is because he's athletic, because he's fast. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's going to slow down. I think it's going to continue. What, what is surprising to me is offensively more home runs being hit this year than the rate of last year. I would have thought, okay, more stolen bases. I could see that. But a little surprised by the home runs. I know it's only been a week so far, but that's something also that bears watching. Yeah, it hasn't been maybe some of the key items that we thought were going to come up. And I wonder how much of that, you know, is, is adjusting to the pitch clock and, and guys, you know, getting into those situations where they know, hey, I got I got five seconds left here. I got I to gotta throw a pitch and turns out it's the wrong one and it winds up going over the yard and, you know, sort of adjusting to it. Have you liked the, the pace of play now that we've got sort of a week in and you've, you've got a, a bigger feel for it? Has it been a, a positive in your mind? Oh, it's phenomenal, man. I, I don't know one person doesn't like it. And then I heard my friend Nick Driston the other day. He goes, the other person doesn't like it. It's probably the TV executives. I'm like, that makes sense. Yeah. Fox can't sell as much ad time, right? Because the games are three and a half hours. Everybody else loves it. I think if you've gone to a game, I haven't gone yet. You're like, wow, I, I can't even look at my phone right now because the action's so fast. I think if you're watching at home, as I have been, like these games are flying. Sandy Alcantara threw a complete game the other day. He's arguably the best pitcher in baseball. Won the Cy Young a year ago. 100 pitches. And the game was an hour and 56 minutes. It was amazing. Like, the game started at 6.40 Eastern and was done before 8.45. I'm like, that's insane. Like, it, it was flying. So, I mean, it's, it's been fun to watch, man, because, you know, for years, you hear baseball's too slow, not enough action. Oh, we got action, more stolen bases, still plenty of offense with the home runs. And now we've just, we've just trimmed the fat. You know, before we take, like, 26, 27 seconds between pitches. Now it's 20, sometimes 18, 15 games are averaging a year ago. A nine inning game was three hours and three minutes. Now it's like two hours and 35 minutes. Like you're cutting out a half an hour out of your day. I, I love it so much. I think like, the players like it. Like, the fans like it. The broadcasters like it. Like I said, the only ones that don't like it are the TV executives. Everybody else is all in on the quicker play. Uh, it's an interesting week to start the season too, because we're seeing a couple of uh, top prospects around the league make their debuts. And some of these guys, Adnan, are going to be, Major impact players as we continue this season. I think, of course, of uh, Grayson Rodriguez uh, getting his uh, his first MLB taste. It sounds as though the New York Mets are on the verge uh, of recalling top prospect Francisco Alvarez from Syracuse. Uh, I know the, the time factor and, and how it all plays into contracts is always so important, but are we starting to get to the point where some of these guys are just forcing teams' hands where it's like, hey, I know service time is important, but these guys are too good to be kept in AAA for, for too long. We're just going to come up and let them play. Well, the Grayson Rodriguez one is really interesting because he's the second top pitching prospect in all of baseball. Number seven prospect, regardless of position, you're going to MLB.com. Andrew Painter of the Phillies, who's a pitcher, is number six. So he's the second best pitching prospect in baseball. He's the Orioles' best pitching prospect, obviously. And so far for both, we've seen the position players, Adley Rutschman, how good he has been. Gunnar Henderson, my pick to win Rookie of the Year. We haven't seen their pitchers yet. You know, their starters last year, 
24th in ERA. That needs to improve. But now here we get Grayson Rodriguez. Now, the spring training was not good. That ERA over six, and that's why they sent him down. And they mm-hmm. even said, we're surprised. We are hoping he'd make the team. Kyle Bradish gets hurt. He's in the IL. That means Grayson Rodriguez gets his start, and he was absolutely electric against the Texas Rangers. You know, DeGrom was awesome, only gave up, uh, I believe, a couple of runs, and uh, struck out 11, but Rodriguez looked great. I mean, his, his average fastball velocity was 96. I think he threw 41 four-seam fastballs, so that's going to play. And it was a great image seeing his mom there cheering after tugging his dad. So, it, I mean, the, the world is his oyster. You can see why Rodriguez, there's so much hype around him, and he's going to be that ace of Baltimore staff for, for years to come, if not already. Because, again, their starters, aside from John Means, are nothing to phone home about. So Rodriguez is a real shot in the arm for them. Uh, before we move on to a couple other things, you and me have had this conversation before, but I, I wonder when this becomes a more serious topic. Um, as I was reading this yesterday, uh, the Oakland A's have struggled for attendance for, for years now, Vert. They had 26,000 at their home opener against the Angels. That's a great number. Uh, but, of course, since then, it's just continued to drown. Going back to April 4th, uh, the stats from uh, Sporting News MLB, that uh, 11 AAA games were able to uh, out-attendance the Oakland A's, who only brought in 3,407 fans to the ballpark. It's just not a sustainable model in Major League Baseball to bring in three or 4,000 fans per home game. Me and my producer, Taylor, were just going through some of the ticket websites, you can get, you know, home plate views, Adnan, for under 50 bucks to these sort of games. I know it's an incredibly frustrating franchise because they get good players, they develop them for two or three years only to ship them off to a big market team to succeed. But how long can this realistically go on with that kind of attendance going to games? Well, as you said, it's been a problem for years now. And I think Commissioner Rob Manfred is well aware of it. I think sooner rather than later, you're going to see the A's in Las Vegas. We've seen what a great story the Golden Knights have been, the Raiders as well. So it only makes sense baseball goes as well. Obviously, it's so bloody hot. So we have to go, obviously, have an indoor <laughs> park like Miami. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just sad. Like, I remember growing up, the A's, the Bash Brothers, and Conseco, McGuire, and Tony La Russa, and Dave Stewart, and Mike Gallego, Kearney Lancer, like great teams there, right? And a really good fan base when they're rolling. But, unfortunately, it's been a bad team in the last couple of years, although you're right. You know, they're always sneaky. Even when they're really good, they don't really draw. That's, that's the weird no. thing. Like, kind, of like, kind of like the Rays as well, right? You win 95 games and nobody shows up. You don't get it. Now, I, I get it. The park is a dump. I've been to the O.co. Nothing special there. It's a football stadium playing a baseball game. I get it. It's not a great area of Oakland, yeah. But, but 3,000 fans, man, like that, that's kind of shocking. Like when you say those numbers, even I didn't realize it was that, but I would have thought, okay, maybe – 10,000 or something, which is still horrible, but 3,000, 4,000 fans, that, that's awful. And I think, you know, Rob knows that this, this has to change, but it's going to be another painful year of a lot of losing, a lot of low attendance, unfortunately. Uh, on a personal note, you're about halfway through uh, Ramadan. How's it going so far, pal? Well, I appreciate you asking, man. I'm, I'm starving right now, so we've got about <laughs> four and a half, four hours till I can eat. So yeah. the good news is, unlike on a diet logo, you have to watch what you eat right all the time. Here, it's you're just starving yourself for 14 hours, but at night, you know, have fun. So, like, you know, yeah. the other day I was just dreaming of uh, Shake Shack. I'm like, right. So, my wife, we're getting Shake Shack. All right. <laughs> the other day I was dreaming of pizza. I go, we're having pizza. You know, it's uh, yesterday my, 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 my son wanted Popeyes. I was like, yeah, I'm not a Popeyes guy myself. I would have taken some KFC, but that, 
that's only good news. We're definitely indulging at night. There's, it's guilt-free, right? We have a coffee crisp every single day. You go, wow, you eat a chocolate bar every day? But I had nothing for 14 hours. Okay, fine, go ahead, have a coffee crisp. Have a Haagen-Dazs ice cream bar. So uh, it, it's definitely tough during the day. I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I'm cranky. But at night, it's, uh, it's a real blessing. And, and by the way, the UConn basketball team, there's a couple of Muslim players in that team. I didn't realize who are fasting right now during yeah. Ramadan. So it's an example it's an example logo why sports is so great because it really helps as a teaching tool. Like as a kid, people were like, oh, wow, what's this Ramadan all about? What's this fasting? Oh, Hakeem Olajuwon, he does that too, right? Oh, I saw him on the Rockets doing that. So I, I always love when sports can kind of educate and uh, obviously bring people together. And uh, I'm thrilled for UConn. I'm thrilled to have a couple of guys on that team who are fasting and uh, who will obviously be, be enjoying this victory a lot more two weeks from now than they can eat all the time. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's got to be the hardest part uh, for those guys is the timing of it. Uh, hey, but the commitment level is, is, is always so great from an, an athlete's perspective. I always loved the, the Elijah Juan stories and all that because it is, you know, as much fun as it is for us to, to joke about it. I mean, for a, a high-level athlete, it's an extra level of commitment to, to, to stand by your faith and to go through those sort of things at this time of the year. But they knew that going in, and I just love the stories that came out from those kids from UConn that they – you know, sort of used it as a motivating factor. And for them, you're right, in two weeks, it'll be probably that much more rewarding for them. Oh, without question, man. The struggle is real, and um, it's all about pacing yourself. And I guess, you know, athletes are so smart because they're such well-conditioned athletes. It's about, you know, making sure you're having enough fluids, you know, an hour before sunrise and making sure you eat the right things and get the right nutrients in your body. And it's all about discipline, right? And that's one thing about athletes. They are so disciplined, so it's not surprising that they can still perform at a high level. You know me, I'm sitting at a desk, you know, watching sports sites, watching movies. How much work am I doing? Those guys are doing real work at getting it done. So it really is amazing to see. It's inspiring to see. Uh, talk to me about the uh, latest edition of Cinephile. came out uh, just the other day, a double interview feature with a couple of uh, interesting Hollywood figures in Jeremy Piven and Jim Belushi. Yeah, we're kind of the comedy edition here of Cinephile. So Piven has a new movie out called Sweetwater, which is about the first black athlete ever drafted by an NBA team. And I had no idea about the story. Sweetwater was his name. Sweetwater Clifton played for the Globetrotters. Uh, Jeremy Piven plays Joe Lachick, who was the Knicks basketball coach at that time. Richard Dreyfuss in the cast as well. Kerry Elwes. So it's a, it's a good little indie movie. And Jeremy was great. You know, normally you only get 10, 15 minutes with a guy. He gave us 30 minutes. So uh, it's nice. the most I've ever had with a guest. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Obviously talked to Entourage, but also talked to the Larry Sanders show, which I loved. It was in the first couple seasons of that show. Talked about um, just other movies he's made and working with David Mamet and all that kind of stuff. So Pippin was great, man. Doing stand-up right now, so he's keeping busy. And then Jim Belushi, he has a show called Growing Belushi, which is about the fact he left Hollywood to become a, a pot farmer. He, he, he literally is raising weed right now. And he said, you know what? I had all this acreage, and I said, what's the hot thing right now? It's obviously weed. Fine, I'll do it. So he was really entertaining in the interview, explained why he left Hollywood, how the weed farming is going, how you grow these plants. I mean, I obviously do not smoke weed, so I know nothing about these things, but it <laughs> was really interesting and really funny. So Piven for 30 minutes, Belushi for 20 minutes. The comedy edition of Cinephile, both those guys were great. Were you a Belushi guy going back to his SNL days? I know that he was sort of a, a mixed figure. There were so many greats that sort of played that, that role, that similar style that – uh, Belushi did, but I was always curious, were you a, a Belushi guy when he was in SNL? Because I'm more Belushi of, like, Red Heat. That's the Belushi that I sort of understand with it. Of course, according to Jim, he had that for, for 10 years or whatever, yeah. but his Belushi is a bit before, like, his SNL time is before mine. No, I'm with you as well, and of course, you, anytime you hear Belushi SNL, you think of his late brother, John, who was such a comedic influence, and, 
and Jim mentioned it one time, but you're right. I don't think of the, the SNL era. I think of like movies like Canine and uh, Mr. Destiny, which we did discuss, by the way. He said, you know, Mr. Destiny, he was told would be his big hit. It wasn't. I said, no, I loved it as a baseball guy. I think it's a funny movie. Michael Caine is fantastic in it. Mm-hmm. Rene Russo. So, yeah, I'm with you. Red Heat, that era of Belushi movies is definitely the era that I prefer. Uh, and latest movies out right now, you were a fan of John Wick. And uh, did, I get, did I get this right? Did you go see Mario Brothers already with the young ones? I did. Boys, I got spring break this week. I like it better in Canada, by the way. March break is better to me, middle yes. of March. In America, they always go early April, which never makes any sense to me. But anyways, spring break, and my son, Adine, is 11. He cannot wait to go see it. So I said, all right, 10 a.m. show. Logo, earliest I've ever seen a movie in my life. 10 a.m. AMC showing. <laughs> and by the way, pretty packed. 3D showing, there was at least like 60 kids in there. I'm like, wow, this movie is a juggernaut. It, it's going to make like $92 million this weekend, I think. I read And if you do it over the five-day holiday weekend, of course, it's Easter, it's going to make over $100 million. And we, we really enjoyed it. Uh, Chris Pratt is Mario. Love Bowser. Jack Black was fantastic as the villain. So fun movie and quick, only 90 minutes. So um, the boys really enjoyed it. Of course, I was fasting, so they're munching away on popcorn, <laughs> slurping their slushies. I'm like, right, I'm glad you guys are enjoying this. I've got eight more hours of uh, Having to listen to this, but uh, yeah, fun movie, enjoyable. And John Wick 4, man, God, if you like action movies, two hours and 40 minutes, but there's such elaborate action sequences. Like, it's 15 minutes of Keanu fighting these guys, martial arts moves, gunplay. It's, it's, it's a terrific action movie, one of the best action movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I love that story, too, about the original John Wick, I think, opened up to or eventually grossed something like $89 million total for the studio. And opening weekend for John Wick 4 was somewhere in the $245 million range. It's, Keanu's one of those guys that's just continued to kill it in those kind of roles. And no wonder they're talking about somehow finding a way to do a fifth one. If you're going to have that kind of opening weekend, uh, yeah, I can guarantee you're going to find a way to do a fifth one. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a cash cow. You're right. How could you turn your back on this kind of a franchise? For God's sakes, we're about to have Fast and Furious 10. I uh, missed Impossible. <laughs> I've also lost track of. So I, I'm with you. And I think the John Wick movies are better than the Fast and Furious movies and the Mission Impossible movies. So, yeah, sign me up. If we can get John Wick 5, I'm in. Uh, Verk, you're the best. Appreciate the time as always, pal. Good luck with the rest of Ramadan. We'll talk to you again next week, eh? Well, I appreciate it, buddy. So considerate of you to ask. And I appreciate the fun chats as always. Go Flames. Thanks, Logo. We'll talk. Take care. Ed and Verk joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon, a Thursday regular here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. If you're a movie nerd uh, like myself, his latest edition coming out, interviews with Jeremy Piven and John Belushi, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. That'll do it for hour one. We got to get out of here and get ready for hour two. Uh, we'll jump back into the Calgary Flames conversation, hear from our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli, his reaction to a big win last night for the Calgary Flames and the Blue Jays in action this afternoon, making easy work of the Kansas City Royals. That's some good news as the Jays needed the offense to wake up early in the season. Looks like it might be doing that this afternoon in KC. We'll get to all of that and more as Hour 2 kicks off next here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.